here. You are such an important part of our church family. And you guys are going to be finding out downstairs. Uh, I don't know if this is a surprise or not. I'm probably ruining it. Is that, oh, it's not. Okay. Yeah, they're going to be doing a uh, back-to-school kind of kids' carnival downstairs. And uh, so they're going to be having a lot of fun with that, as well as uh, our amazing... I kind of want to brag on Josh and Miriam. I think I'm getting a little bit of feedback here as well. But I do want to brag on... Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, man. I do want to brag on Josh and Miriam. They also put together, um, along with several of their volunteers, um, some kind of back-to-school survival kits for all the kiddos, uh, along with the bracelets he mentioned that say Jesus loves you and Deer Creek Church loves you. It's got pencils and pencil sharpeners, erasers, uh, a lot of Smarties, things like that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they, get, they made one for me. It has dum-dums in it. Yeah, I thought... It's not even passive-aggressive. It's just outright aggressive. No, we're so grateful for all of their hard work. We're so grateful, God, for these amazing kids. Uh, if you've been here with us through the month of August, we have been going through a little series uh, titled The River, the Desert, the Mission. And this is a look at some of the earliest uh, keystone moments of Jesus' public ministry, this time where Jesus uh, spent in, in the Jordan River being baptized and the identity that was spoken over him there, the time he spent, he was led into the desert, into the wilderness to be tempted how he was tempted yet without sin. And then we're going to be looking today at actually the launching of this, this public mission, this three-year ministry of Jesus, kind of the mission that we know Jesus for, where he preached and he taught and he healed and he did all these amazing things. But he also recruited and empowered his disciples. So we're going to be talking a lot about that mission this morning. We're also going to be talking about the people, the, 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 the unexpected people that Jesus invites to participate in this mission, just like you and me. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your goodness, for your greatness, for your grace. Lord, thank you for all these just amazing kids and their teachers and their parents. And Lord, for this church family. Uh, Lord, in our, in our mess and our brokenness and our, uh, our flaws, Lord, we are reminded of our desperate need for you, that in you we have a good, good father. We have a father in heaven who loves us, who, who uh, speaks that identity over us in Jesus and invites us to participate in this mission with him. So God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing love. We pray that you would be our teacher this morning, that you would soften our hearts, that, Lord, your spirit would speak to us because we are listening. Your children are listening this morning, Lord. We pray all this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Well, a few years ago, my wife and I, uh, we were actually engaged at this point, uh, decided to take a little kayaking trip with some friends. And we uh, decided to kayak about eight miles of the Haw River, the Hall River. That sounds like North Carolina, right? So this is back in North Carolina, back east in the south. And so this is supposed to be just like a nice little morning jaunt with a couple friends. You know, be back in time for lunch. At least that was the game plan. And as we uh, went over to the Hall River to start our kayaking, uh, we noticed something when we got there that it hadn't really rained a lot lately. The, the river was not flowing forcefully exactly. Uh, it was pretty low, pretty dry, and so we're like, wow, okay, this might be a little bit more difficult than we had originally thought it might be, but what's the worst that can happen? Like, I'm going to be bad. That's a great last saying, right? Yeah, famous last words. So we said, what's the worst that can happen? So our two friends that we're with, they uh, pa- unpack their kayaks and load up all their stuff, and they phew, launch out into the river, and they're, they're splashing around. They're having a great time. Oh, it looks like it's going to be great. What a beautiful day. It's a great journey. We get to go on together have a lot of fun. Uh, my wife, fiance, then Sheila, she uh, unpacks her kayak and launches out into the river, and they're all having a great time. I say, Joseph, come on. Okay. So I'm kind of the last of the bunch, and unpack my kayak, and I, I launch out into the river, and I start gliding forward and feeling the river's momentum catch me, and all of a sudden, I hear this sound, and 
Oh, I'm not moving. Oh, my, my kayak. Hey, guys, sorry. I must, must have caught a rock here. Hey, don't worry about it. Uh, you guys, you know, give me a second. So I hop out and I do the, the little kayak, you know, waddle thing. And I drag it along, uh, along five, ten feet, get it loose, and it starts floating again. And I start moving for a few more feet. And it's probably just shallow right here. It's just a shallow section. Hey, you, you guys go on ahead. I'll catch up. It's all right. So I drag it along a little bit more. And, and I continue to get lodged on these rocks. Uh, now, to give you some context of what's going on here, the two friends we're with, the first one is, was a gymnast, the second one was a cross-country runner, probably guessing that they were in the range of weight about 120 to 140 pounds, you know, somewhere in there. My wife, Sheila, I'm not dumb enough to tell you what her college weight was, but I will say it was significantly less than me, and it was around the ballpark of those two others. Uh, and then there was me, weighing in at a sturdy 230 pounds at the time. I, it wasn't my fault. I'd had a big breakfast that morning. That's what it was. Uh, I was significantly uh, overburdened by comparison. I probably weighed 80 to 100 pounds more than the next closest person that was there. And I felt that weight acutely as I started this journey down the Haw River. After <laughs> basically every 10, 15 feet getting lodged on rocks, getting stuck, having to pull and drag this kayak. And what was supposed to have been a three our kayak trip turned into a 12-hour one for me, dragging this kayak bit by bit through the Haw River. Now, our friends, long gone. They were kind of done with this. Sheila, wonderful, godly, amazing woman, my fiance. I think she was kind of stuck with me, too. Uh, I was her ride, so <laughs> she couldn't drive sticks. So anyway, so she's floating around next to me, and uh, she's, you know, she's trying to be patient, trying to be encouraging, because she's just having a blast. She's paddling forward, ba- paddling back, and going in circles around me as I'm dragging my kayak. And she's trying to be helpful. She's offering advice, like, have you tried not hitting the rocks? <laughs> oh... That's what, that's what I'm doing wrong. Don't hit the rocks. Oh, yeah, that has occurred to me. I'm trying my best. So we're about seven, eight hours in, and I have gone from excited to exhausted. I am worn out. I am tired. I am angry. Anyone ever get a little cranky? I am cranky pants in the middle of the river. And I'm sitting there dragging my kayak for the 157th time as she's spinning in circles around me. And I did what any mature follower of Jesus, aspiring pastor would do in that moment. I stopped, I prayed, okay, God, what are you teaching me in this moment? No, that's not at all what I did. I threw a tantrum. I threw a tantrum in the middle of the Hall River, and I got out of my kayak, and I kicked a river rock about as hard as I could. I broke a toe, and I took my oar, and I launched it down the river, sending it about 20, 30 feet, as it's happily floating along, no problem at all, (laughs) down the river, as my fiancé, future wife, is looking at me thinking, what have I gotten myself into? She's looking at me and says, you might need that eventually. As she watches my oar just sail down, you know, sail down the river. I threw a tantrum. I was tired. I was exhausted. I was angry. I was cranky. This was supposed to have been fun. This was supposed to be freeing. This was supposed to have been exciting. And I was exhausted. I was cranky. I was angry. I was worn out. This was not going how I thought it should have gone. I felt like I was the wrong person in the wrong place. I was too burdened. I I didn't even know what the point of all this was anymore. Exhausted, tired. We're going to be talking this morning about this idea of what does it mean to follow Jesus. 
Now, hear, hear me from the very start, too. I'm not at any point in this sermon going to say that following Jesus is supposed to be easy, smooth sailing. You're just gliding along. Uh, it, it's, you know, following Jesus is, is sunshine and kittens and puppies and rainbows and candy. Like, I'm not saying that. It's not that sermon, all right? In fact, you don't have to read very far through the gospel accounts to realize that it's difficult to follow Jesus. It is a difficult, trying experience to follow Jesus. It is worth it. It is absolutely worth it. But it is difficult. So don't hear me at any point say this is smooth sailing, easy stuff. This is not about us being comfortable. But it is about us being confident. It is about us being confident in the one who has called us, confident in the one who has invited us on this journey with him. And even as we're stuck and we feel like, where am I going? Why am I even here? Shouldn't this be everyone else uh, but me doing this? We are confident in the one who has invited us. We are confident not in ourselves, but in him. As we look around and we compare ourselves to other people, I don't know, you guys probably never do that. I do it sometimes. And I compare myself and it looks like they're just gliding along, free and easy, no obstacles. It's not about us being comfortable and being like that because, again, that perception is usually distorted through our experience. But it's about us being confident in who Jesus is. And if you've been with us through August, this is what this entire sermon series really has been about. If you, if you jump back just a couple weeks to, to Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, I think we have it on screen behind me here. This is, uh, this is Jesus' time in the river. It's, it's not about a comfortable experience. It's actually the confidence that we can have in Jesus. You can read along here. As soon as Jesus was baptized... He went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, resting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. God speaks this beautiful proclamation, and it's it's independent of accomplishments and qualifications and accolades, any of these things that we want to throw together and we want to put on our resume to impress people. It's independent of all of that. Again, This is who we are in Jesus. We are God's children, and he loves us, and he's well pleased with us in the river in Jesus. And then we see God work again unexpectedly, taking Jesus from that moment of profound, beautiful identity spoken of him, leading him to a difficult season of temptation and trial and testing, time in the desert. We see in Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 1, that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he left the Jordan, he leaves the river, and he was led, he was led, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted, to be tested. Uh, Tempted in every single way that we are tempted yet without sin. It's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. This this moment in the desert is filled with purpose, filled with power. It actually is meant to instill us with confidence that even when we fall short, even when we fail, Jesus does not. Confident, not comfortable. Verse 14 tells us that Jesus actually returns from this wilderness experience. He returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. So his character is formed in the desert. He leaves in the power of the Spirit. And in the power of the Spirit, he has this bold mission to proclaim. And that's kind of what we've been building up to, right? What is the Messiah's mission? What is he going to accomplish? What is he going to do? That's what people have been waiting to hear about. And we, we've taken these unexpected journeys to rivers and deserts. But here we are, the launch of Jesus' public ministry, the launch of his mission. And it's, it's a bold mission. It does not disappoint. This is Mark chapter 1. Verses 14 and 15. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Gospel, that's where we get that word gospel. The good news of God. He said this, The time has come. It's the appointed time. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. There's a couple key things there. That in Jesus, the very kingdom of God is breaking into our world. Heaven is colliding with earth. And we're going to see incredible things take place. We're going to see the suffering taken care of. 
We're going to see the blind see. We're going to see the deaf hear. We're going to see the mute speak. We're going to see people in bondage and in slavery set free. We are going to see heaven collide with earth. That's the kingdom of God in Jesus. In him, we get a foretaste of the eternal uh, destination that we are moving towards. That's the mission he's proclaiming. We also hear the good news. Now, this is good news. The kingdom of God is good news for us individually in our individual walk, the individual transformation that takes place in every single one of us, the ways that we are set free in Jesus, the ways that we are empowered in Jesus, the ways that our chains are broken. But it's good news for everyone around us as well, that when we follow Jesus individually as a community, that the people around us get a foretaste of the kingdom of God, get a foretaste of, the t- of heaven and seeing heaven collide with earth. This is what people have been waiting for. This is the moment. This is the mission. We're clear on that. So everyone is leaning in. Everyone is waiting. Everyone's, okay, Jesus, we finally here. We're finally getting things moving. What are you going to do? And most important, who are you going to invite to follow you? Who's going to be your crack team? Who's going to be your Navy SEALs that you're going to assemble to bring along with you to accomplish this bold, powerful mission? Matthew 4, verses 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Are you asking for directions, Jesus? We're looking for important people here. What are you doing? Verse 19, Jesus says, come, follow me. It's a simple invitation. Come and follow me. And said, I will will send you out to fish for people. Verse 20 says, at once they left their nets and they followed him. All right, this is what I expected. You're assembling a crack team of leaders, influencers who are going to shape the rest of human history. A couple fishermen? That's not where I'd go. Okay, maybe Jesus is throwing a bone to the common people. Maybe he's, it is a grassroots movement. Maybe he's like, he doesn't want to like come on too strong right away. Uh, that's an interesting first couple of picks for your team, Jesus. But let, who, who, who you got next in line? Matthew chapter 4, 21, 22. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. And Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Four fishermen? What are you doing, Jesus? Like, like maybe you want one fisherman on your team. That's good. You know, kind of you know, hang out with the hoi polloi. You kind of, you kind of connect with the common people. Four of them in your first four rounds? That's like drafting four kickers in your first four rounds. <laughs> Like, a kicker's a good thing to have, but you don't need four of them, and you certainly don't draft them right away. If anyone plays fantasy football, you get what I'm talking about. Who do you want on your team? Who are your first four picks? They're the game changers. They're the playmakers. These are the people who have something to offer. They have history. They have experience. They have proven themselves. That's who you want on your team. That's your crack team. Four fishermen, four kickers. What are you doing, Jesus? This is... One of the things that I love, I love, I love about Jesus' mission. We see that Jesus' mission is for the unlikely. And this is good news, again, for you. This is good news for me. Jesus' mission is for the unlikely. As he is proclaiming that the kingdom of God is here to repent and believe in the good news, it's good news for the unlikely. It's good news for these fishermen. Because following Jesus, the mission of Jesus is not just for the educated or the wealthy or the wise or the powerful. It's not just for people with seminary degrees. It's not just for the accomplished or the the proven. It is for the unlikely. It's for people just like you, just like me. 
Jesus' mission is for the unlikely. If I'm putting together a team, I'm grabbing generals, I'm grabbing politicians, I'm grabbing the religious elite, I'm grabbing the most educated people in the world. Who does Jesus reach out to? Four fishermen. Jesus' mission is for the unlikely. And not only these first four, but the crowds that would then follow Jesus, the, the, the rest of the contingent that would make up his 12 disciples. You have zealots, you have political dissidents, criminals. You have tax collectors. Scripture has two categories. They're, they're sinners and tax collectors. Like there's, They have a category unto themselves. That's how bad they were. That's how much people look down on them. It's kind of how we feel that they're sinners and there's tax collectors. No, Jesus is inviting the unlikeliest of people to participate in his mission. That is good news. That is good news. That is gospel. Jesus' mission is for the unlikely. You know who else Jesus' mission is for? It's for the burdened. I'm going to spend just a little bit more time with this one because this is something I actually I feel like this is most often my objection to participating in the mission of Jesus. Jesus, I'm just too burdened. I'm too busy. I've got too much stuff going on. I'm just too tired. I'm too worn down. I'm too committed. My, my burdens, they're too big. They're too heavy. They're too valuable. Yeah, it's easy for a fisherman. What do you got to lose? Okay, you drop your nets and you go and follow Jesus. Jesus, I got a mortgage. We'd like to just drop the mortgage. But I've got commitments and I've got meetings and boards uh, that I'm a part of. I have PTA meetings. I have all these things that I'm committed to that I'm doing. I can't just drop them. They're too big. They're too heavy. They're too valuable. I want us to pay really close attention because I actually think that we, we sell these first disciples a little short on what they lay down and what they leave behind. <clears throat> You can look at, uh, we're again, Matthew chapter 4. This is a, I won't read the whole thing, but verse uh, 19. So Jesus invites them, come follow me. I'll send you out to fish for people. It says, at once they left their nets. What's the big deal? They left their nets and they followed him. Why would scripture include that they would leave behind their nets? What's the significance of that? I, I'm actually going to pause it. I'm going to make the statement that these nets were immensely important to these men. These were Oh, I think I lost my mic. These were extremely valuable, extremely important for them. They were big, first off. Um, I think we have a few pictures. Yeah, we got a few pictures here. These are almost certainly cast nets, especially the first nets that were left behind, nets that you would just take and you would kind of cast down the water. These were huge nets, eight meters across. That means nothing to me because I'm an American. 26 feet. <laughs> 26 feet across. The only reason I know anything about meters is because of the Olympics. Thank you. But 26 feet, about uh, roughly the size of the stage. The stage is actually just a little bit bigger. I measured it out this morning. Uh, but 26 feet in length, 26 feet in, uh, in diameter, actually. These big circular nets they would cast out. These things were enormous. They're big. Do you feel like you have any big burdens that you carry around with you? These fishermen knew what it was like to carry a big burden. These things were certainly, they were big, they were heavy. You can actually see in this bottom right picture, it's sort of blurry, but you can see attached to the outside of these cast nets, these were, uh, there were weights. These, these, these nets were heavy, not only from the effects of the water, obviously, soaking into the, into the rope, but they were heavy nets, 50 to 150 pounds without the water. This makes sense, right? You want a heavy net so the fish don't uh, swim away when you throw it out in the water. Uh, this, I mean, this is as big as someone probably you're sitting next to. This way about it. Turn to your neighbor, ask him how much they weigh. No, don't do that. Don't do that. That's a joke. Hi, welcome to Deer Creek Church. How much do you weigh? No, don't do that. <laughs> but imagine throwing your neighbor into the Chatfield Reservoir all day long. You probably, some of you think about it. Students, think about throwing your big sister or your little brother into the Chatfield Reservoir all day long. It's not that bad. Yeah, okay, I can, I can connect with this illustration. You get the idea, though. These were heavy. 
These would have been exhausting to carry around. They were big. They were heavy. They were valuable too. You better believe that these nets were valuable to these men. Not only because of the money that was obviously invested in. You have to purchase the nets. You have to, you have to spend money to maintain them. Time. These nets would have taken up an enormous amount of time for these fishermen. Because if you're any fisherman worth of salt, you're, you're spending time fishing. And if you're not fishing, you know what you're doing? You're working on your nets. We've seen Finding Nemo. There's a whole swim down, swim down. If it, doesn't ha- if it has a hole in it, fish go everywhere. A net with lots of holes in it doesn't do you much good. So they would have spent tons of money and they would have spent tons of time investing into these nets. These burdens were big. They were heavy. They were valuable. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar to something you're carrying around with you? Something you feel like weighs you down? Something that prevents you from participating in the mission that Jesus has called you to? Do you feel like you're just scraping along the bottom? You feel like you're so heavy, you're so weighed down, you're not going anywhere? I want to ask you, and this sounds like a silly question, could the disciples have followed Jesus while holding onto their nets? Just think about it. Could they have brought their nets with them and followed Jesus? I actually think they could have for a while. I mean, you could, you could lug, I mean, these, are, these, are, you know, these guys are used to hauling these things around all day. They're probably not unfamiliar with them. They could have thrown them over their shoulders and carried them with them from town to town and, and you know, lugged them around as they're feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, as they're uh, teaching with Jesus and, and participating in the healing ministry, as they're being sent out two by two to go and do the things they've seen Jesus do, as they travel up the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, travel back down. Could they have carried their nets with them? I think so. They would have been tired. They would have been cranky. They would have looked around at the people next to them and said, wow, why does this seem so much easier for you than it is for me? Their burdens were big, they were heavy, they were valuable, just like ours. Their burdens were just like ours. Now, it's important for us to note that Jesus doesn't say, when they leave their nets, he doesn't say, you're never going to ever fish again. Actually, it's a, it's a common theme for them throughout the rest of their ministry, that they're on boats, they're fishing, they're actually participating, they're using the gifts, and they're using even the material items that God has given them, entrusted to them, to accomplish Jesus' mission. So it doesn't mean you're never going to touch a net ever again, but they were willing to set these nets down. They were willing to entrust them into Jesus' care. Why? Why would they do that? Jesus tells us. He tells us in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, he's worthy to carry their burdens. This is one of the most comforting passages in Scripture. It's, it's read constantly. It's, it's, it's one I, I, I try to, to meditate on and try to let really soak in my soul because I constantly want to hang on to these burdens. But Jesus, these are Jesus' words to his disciples. Come to me, all you who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Does anyone here feel like they need rest? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you feel weary? Do you feel burdened? Do you feel like you're just scraping along the bottom? The call to follow Jesus, the call to participate in Jesus' mission, doesn't wait until you fix yourself. It doesn't wait until you get your life together. It doesn't wait until things settle down. Tell me when that happens. I'm still waiting. Like when do things settle down, really? The call to follow Jesus calls us also to entrust him with our burdens. Jesus' mission is for the unlikely, it's for the burden too. And if you're here today and you're feeling burdened, Jesus' mission is for you. 
is not just for the single, it's not just for the retirees, it's not just for some distant point in the future, because trust me, if you're not trust, starting to follow Jesus now, it's very difficult to just pick it up later at the end of your life when you're thinking, I have all this time. And again, retirees in the room, do you feel like you just have this overabundance of time and too few things, too few burdens? You probably don't. I've never met a retiree that feels that way. There's always things going on. There's always things weighing us down. Jesus' mission is for the burdened. The last objection is this, that we tend to make, again, that I tend to make when I consider participating in Jesus' mission, is Jesus' mission is for the uncertain. We're called to represent the very kingdom of God, to participate with Jesus in bringing heaven to earth, and that's exciting. I don't know what that looks like. I don't, I, I don't know what that looks like day to day, and honestly, that fills me with a lot of fear. Like, what if things go wrong? All right, Jesus, I want to follow you, but what if I end up somewhere I don't want to be? What if I end up somewhere with someone I don't want to be with? What if I mess things up, Jesus? Just, just give me the plan. Just tell me what I'm supposed to do. I want to be certain. Give me the roadmap that shows me exactly what to do and when to do it. Throw some divine graffiti up on the wall. Maybe, you know, you know send me a memo in triplicate. Like, do something, then I'll follow. Give me the list, then I'll follow. We see the disciples start to follow Jesus even as they're uncertain about what that even means. This is, uh, again, we're looking at the same passage, Matthew chapter 4. Let's take a look at verse 20 here. At once they left their nets, and they followed him. Were they certain? Were these first disciples certain where they were going? No! They didn't have a clue what they were doing now. Let's just follow this guy. And again, the common misconception is that they had had, like, just no interaction with Jesus. Actually, if you read all the gospel accounts, the, these first disciples actually had interacted with Jesus a half dozen times at this point. So this is a, this is a bold and determined faith, but it's not an irrational faith. Let's, let's make that clear. It's not an irrational faith. It's not like they, they don't know something of Jesus, but they certainly don't know where they're going to be doing or what they're going to be doing for the next three years. They certainly don't know that God is going to use this first step of faith to shape human history to the point that people in North America 2,000 years later are discussing them today. They certainly didn't know that. They take their first uncertain step of faith. Jesus' mission is for the uncertain. God delights in revealing to us what the next step in following him is. He rarely shows us what the next 50 steps are. I'm not saying he doesn't, but he's rarely done it for me. Psalm 119 talks about that God's word is is a light unto my feet. And it's important to recognize that it's a light unto my feet, but it's not a light unto my mile. Right, God's word does not necessarily reveal to me what the next 100 steps, what God, give me my to-do list of 100 things that I'm going to accomplish as a follower of Jesus with my life so I can be certain about that. You know what would happen if God gave me that list? I would worship that list and I would not worship God. Amen. I would put my faith in that list wholeheartedly and I would not trust God one bit. That's what I would do. God's mission, Jesus' mission is for the uncertain. And here's the thing. Many of us hunger for mission. We hunger to be a part of something bigger and grander than even our individual lives. We are drawn to community. We're drawn to a sense of purpose. We were created with a sense of purpose. But there's always these other things going on. Maybe we're just not the right people yet. We're, we're, maybe you're part of the unlikely. You're like, that's not for me. I don't, I'm not educated or I'm not experienced enough or I can't do this or I can't do that. There's no way I could be the one that God would want to serve and bless in this way. Maybe you feel like you're unlikely. Maybe we just feel like we're just too busy and burdened. I got too much going on, Jesus. Just, just let me get my life in order. Let me settle things out a little bit. Then I'll follow you. Then eventually I'll get around to it. Maybe we're not sure where we're going to end up or who we're going to end up with or even how we're going to get there. We're just too uncertain. We say, God, if you just made it clearer to me, 
then I could follow you. Jesus' mission is for the unlikely. It is for the burdened. It is for the uncertain. He delights in showing us this through his first disciples, through the people he has called to follow him, to be on mission with him, to represent him and his kingdom. And they fail. (laughs) It's okay. They fail. Actually, that's part of God's redemptive story where he delights to use people who follow him, who take that step and stumble, who take that step and trip. God delights in using those people. He delights in using me. He delights in using you. If you feel like you're here today and you feel like you were excited at one point to follow Jesus and you're just exhausted now, this message is for you. Like this passage is for you. If you feel like you're just scraping along the bottom and everyone else is just flying past you, this message is for you. We've got to start following. Again, it's not, I'm not preaching comfort. I'm not preaching that this is about us being comfortable with Jesus and always being happy and healthy and all that. Again, you want to follow Jesus, where does it lead? Well, it leads to the wilderness, it leads to the desert, it leads to the cross. It leads to a place of death that is made beautiful and turned to life. That's what following Jesus does for all of us. And there might be suffering on that journey. Actually, there certainly will be suffering and difficulties on that journey. Let's not make a mistake about it for a second. It is not about being comfortable. It is about being confident in the one we follow. So how do we start to follow? We're going to end with this. Just a few, few ideas. First off, there's an invitation here this morning. If you have not said, Jesus, I'm following you. I'm following you. No better day than today. No better day No better moment than right now to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't even necessarily know what that means, but it's not an irrational faith, but it's it's a bold, determined faith to learn more, to grow more. We have two books out in the lobby. Actually, we have a few out there that we give away to folks. Grab one of these. There's one title, The Reason for God. If you're like, yeah, I just have these questions, I have these difficulties, read The Reason for God. It's absolutely fantastic. Absolutely fantastic book by Dr. Timothy Keller that actually wrestles with many most of the important questions, most of the, uh, the obstacles or objections that we are uh, experiencing in our present day and age about what does it mean to follow Jesus in the 21st century. Read the Bible. I, mean, I know it sounds silly. I know it sounds like something you expect a preacher to say on a Sunday morning. But there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing that has shaped me more in following Jesus than sitting down and reading God's word and reading who is Jesus and what is the mission that he is fulfilling. And how can I be a part of that? How is he inviting me a part of that? There's an invitation to just take that first step to start to follow. Some of us here, there's, just, there's an invitation to start to surrender. We're, we're going to have burdens. Jesus acknowledged that. Come to me, you are weary and burdened. He doesn't say, get your life in order, get things settled out, and then come to me. No, come to me when you are exhausted, you are burdened, you are tired, you feel like you can't go another inch. Come to me. That's when he invites us. Start to surrender. You will have troubles, fear not. Jesus has overcome them. He has overcome the world. It's not your strength. It's not your power. It's not your abilities. They aren't your burdens to carry. Carry Jesus with you. Trust him and trust him. Start to surrender these things to him. And the last one is this, is start to serve. Start to serve. Start to use the gifts. As If you've been following Jesus and you're here and maybe you thought, thought yourself, yeah, you know, I, I appreciate this community. I want to grow personally. I'm just not ready yet. Like, I'm not educated enough. I'm not experienced enough. Or I, I don't have any gifts. I, that, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. Jesus, in the power of his spirit, has empowered every single one of us in Christ to be a part of the mission he's accomplishing. We have opportunities all around us to do that. 
Every, my, my wife has been saying this to me a lot lately, and I, I'm pretty sure this is like propaganda, uh, but she's been telling me every time I change a diaper or take care, we just had a baby uh, eight weeks ago, and she's been telling me every time, she's like, you're doing kingdom work, Joseph. <laughs> should, you should write campaign speeches. Yeah, you're doing kingdom work, Joseph. You are changing diapers and holding the baby and burping the baby. You're doing kingdom work. And actually, I really appreciate that reminder because it doesn't feel like it in the moment. It doesn't feel like I'm doing anything that's going to change the world. She's like, you're, you're helping make a disciple right here. You're speaking into and caring for and nurturing this little baby. And she actually has a way better attitude about it than I will ever have. But she's, you're doing kingdom work. So some of the things I'm going to describe, they're going to sound like, what are you, really? You're doing kingdom work. You are being invited to do kingdom work. In, uh, externally. We have a table out in the lobby. Um, Tim mentioned it at the beginning of the service, I believe, and uh, was sharing about something called Somerset Fest. It was the largest community festival. Gary uh, Fuller came up here and spoke about it last week, did a great job uh, casting vision and sharing the story about you know, what would people in this community miss if Deer Creek ceased to exist. And this is a partnership, a relationship that we've had for years. There's an opportunity to bless, to serve the local community. There's a sign-up table out there. Grab your friends, grab your family, grab your enemies, but go and serve together. Go and sign up, and you're you're gonna have the opportunity to. You're like this is kingdom work. How can I, like I'm playing? I'm like supervising midway games. I'm serving Pepsi. How how can this be kingdom work? You're blessing the lives of this community. You are doing kingdom work. Sign up to serve. If you've never done anything in church before, this is a wonderful, low bar first step. Just take the step, serve in community, and see how God blesses you. See how God blesses you. We're going to be going to two services here. I think Tim maybe mentioned that as well at the beginning of the service, uh, September 25th. And uh, we have a little phrase here, and I don't think we made this up. I think we're just probably stealing it from someone. We steal most things. No. Uh, but attend one, serve one. This idea that we want to attend a service together, we want to worship God together, we also want to serve together. With twice as many services means there's twice as many volunteer opportunities. See what I did there? Opportunities to serve. But to take a step to serve, maybe it's greeting. Is that kingdom work you better believe? greeting people at the door, being the face of a, of a welcoming community to new people here is kingdom work. Serving in the children's ministry, is that kingdom work? You better believe it. Shaping the next generation of disciples is kingdom work. We, are, we have so many opportunities. We have, we have uh, forms out there you can sign up for. We have so many opportunities to do kingdom work. But again, remember, 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 this is not about us being comfortable. This isn't about us proving anything. The river has set us free from any, any need to, to, to prove ourselves, to build our resume. We find our identity in the river with Jesus, that we are God's children, we are loved, he is well pleased with us, independent of anything we do, unconditionally. That is the truth of the gospel and Jesus in the river. As we follow Jesus, that leads us to places of difficulty, temptation, strife, even pain in the wilderness, in the desert. Our character is being formed and our trust in Jesus is being deepened. Remember that. And there's a mission that Jesus is inviting us to, the unlikely, the burdened, the uncertain. Jesus is inviting us to serve. He's inviting us to be on mission. So my prayer, and we're going to end this series with this, is that we would respond, we would take that next step to follow Jesus, to be confident in him. Would you pray with me? God, thank you so much that we are invited, as we are, to follow you. Lord, your invitation is for the weary, it is for the burdened, it's for those of us who doubt ourselves, those of us who have made mistakes, it's those of us who don't even know what tomorrow has in store. That's the invitation. That's who the invitation is for. 
God, we worship you, that you delight to use the most unexpected, the most unlikely to do your will. You did that in Jesus. You did that in the most unlikely of ways. You did that on the cross, and we worship you and praise you. God, for the unlikely, the unexpected, but the incredible, worthwhile mission that you accomplished on the cross that you've invited us to. So Lord, I pray for this congregation. I pray, Lord, that we would take that next step in faith to trust you, to know you, to follow you, to be confident in you, even, especially, God, when we, when we don't feel confident in ourselves. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.